I was about to say Hoopleheads. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to intro the Hoop. Never. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast and movie fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield, here with Soren Howe. Today we're discussing the fourth episode of Season 7, The Spoils of War. Um, an episode which leaked a couple days earlier, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't know how that, how, how that happened, but I was, I was dodging spoilers <laughs> for yeah. um, about half a week. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird... Um... It was a weird thing because the one that showed up online, I think, was separate from the hack, weirdly. So there was a hack that, you know, they're holding ransom all of these emails and scripts and all these other things that whoever the hackers are have uh, found at HBO. Um, and they're holding it ransom for some purpose. I don't know, money, I guess. Uh, otherwise, they're going to release it all onto the Internet. So that's going to be fun. That's that's a really fun thing for for fans. I'm sure that you know everything's going to be spoiled before we get to watch it. Um, but uh, I will say that most of the sites I'd seen hadn't really reported on any of the contents of the episodes or anything. I I managed to avoid spoilers before this episode, so I didn't really know. All I knew is there was a battle, but there's been a battle every episode this season, so it didn't uh, it didn't really impact me too much. But hopefully, we this hack won't spill spin out of control too much. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so this was a, a fairly significant episode, I would say. Yeah, I think a, a a very good episode this season. I've been I've been enjoying the season for the most part, but I felt kind of like I don't know. It, th- this is the first one where it feels like all right, we can we're like we're in it now. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there have definitely been major uh, events. <laughs> That have happened, um, but it's mostly it's been a lot of character stuff, which is not a bad thing by any means. Um, but I like stuff. that I we're kind like of it's finally been, it's so been been so uh, plot driven. Well, it's it's we're finally it's it, there's a lot more uh, payoff than setup in this episode, I guess. Um, although there's plenty of setup, but even that's kind of interesting because it feels like it's going somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as opposed to just kind of uh, not spinning its wheels, but like. You know, uh, putting pieces in place, and this this is what this show has done for years and years. It'll put pieces in place, and then say, "All right, and you know, remember that because we'll get to it." Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there now, so you can't say it wasn't. Um, but but I, I'm glad this season overall, but especially in this episode, I really feel like, all right, we're like hitting on stuff. There, there's uh, callbacks to stuff that feels uh, that happened ages ago. That feels like oh, so finally we, that that. Uh, it's it's pulling from all of these uh, things that have been kind of long-standing. Um, I don't know. I I just I I, I enjoyed this well, episode a lot more than threads and uh, like they're trimming characters to try and narrow the focus a bit. Um. So like, for example, I mean, we've been saying that they've been you know culling the uh, cast, um, but also by getting rid of a lot of these these um or or simplifying a lot of these storylines. I think part of the thing is they don't want to end up at the end where they're trying to cram in 20 different conclusions to the finale, which is smart because the alternate uh, the alternate situation is you end up with... Now, I'm sure some Harry Potter nerd is going to correct me on this, but I don't... You know, I nobody's got time for that. 
I'll just tell you, you know, there's some seriously irritating things in the conclusion of, uh, of the, the Harry Potter franchise, where there's this big battle to end all battles between good and evil and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, this whole song and dance that they make up in the, the, the fourth book, where they're talking about these other wizarding schools all over the world, no one shows up to help from any of these schools. It's just Hogwarts versus all of evil. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's sort of left to them. Um, like, just dangling threads for no reason. And and I think that that bothers a certain contingent, uh, contingency of the, the, the people who enjoyed watching or, or reading or whatever. And uh, similarly, I think uh, that they're, they're trying to condense this so they don't have, like, well, you didn't finish this storyline about Jorah. Whatever happened to Jorah? And why didn't you... Uh, you know, tie up that thing. Even Avatar, which is, for me, you know, the peak of television, uh, still, you know, didn't actually really, not until the comics did they resolve what happens with Zuko's uh, mother um, in the conclusion of that that particular series. So um, I think uh, I think that's what they're trying to do here, and, and so we're getting a lot of these, these callbacks, a lot of, you know, either killing off characters or, or in some way... Um, uh, tying back into them to so that they can have some sort of you know conclusion. Yeah, I mean it's it's not and it's it's not even that for me. It's like there's a lot of this show spends so much time on establishment and very little time on uh, making making anything about uh, making anything of what it's established. Um, so there's a lot of moments in this episode we'll get to, like, um, uh, with Arya and Brienne and with, uh, Tyrion and Jaime and a couple others where it feels like they're, they're calling back to things that they've established and Mm. not just kind of building things up, uh, to eventually call back to. It feels, you know, it's, it's nice to be in a position on this show where there's no more, like, world building and they don't have to do any more introduction of elements. They can they just have this huge library of things <laughs> that they've built that they can pull from to actually like tell a story. Um, and it's cool. It, it's it, it feels good. It's a bit weird uh, to to feel that way in season seven. Yeah, um. most shows don't take <laughs> quite this long. <laughs> um, but hey, they got there. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit unfair because, of course, they they've done this a bit in the past. But yeah, you're right. There's, by and large, they're not really introducing anything new. Um, but yeah, they were still introducing like children of the forest and stuff. You know, by season five or six, um, you know, the Lord of Light and that whole thing doesn't show up till like season three or four or something. So it's it's yeah, it's it's been a slow burn in that regard. Um, but in this. Uh, Episode there, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of uh, callbacks and not and no new information by and large, um, except of course what we don't know about the uh, the White Walkers, uh, which is everything, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but there is some implication that we might be getting some information soon. I, it's not entirely clear uh, based on the scene with with John and Daenerys. Um, but anyway, we should probably start at the beginning. Yes, let's. Um, so we recently released our uh, long gestating. I think eleventh episode of, of Loopleheads, uh, yeah, eleven, which is our Deadwood podcast. Definitely check it out if you are a fan of Deadwood. You should be. It's a fantastic show. I'm a big fan of it. Josh is new to the show, but seems to enjoy it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember, but I, I sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, it's been so long. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, but we had that that podcast sort of in the hopper, and we wanted to get it out, and we'd like to finish up that season. Um, so that's why that was released. Um, but it was funny because as I was getting that episode ready, I realized watching this episode um, of Game of Thrones that the opening shot just reminded me a lot of the beginning of, of Deadwood as a series where they're all in this big caravan trying to get into the to the town. Um, it was like a big traffic jam with all these these things. And it just, this, this shot and the shot later when we come back to where the final battle takes place just felt very Western to me. I don't know if you felt the same way but it's yeah well it feels like yeah it's definitely calling back in terms of imagery to like the Oregon Trail exactly yeah, and yeah. Uh, pioneers yeah it, it's definitely evoking that 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 um that idea um, which is, which is I, funny because when we think odd. of pioneers it's people it, it it's people you know who have nothing they um everything they own is on their backs or in their carts when literally they're taking like you know half of the gold in the country yeah. <laughs> Um, That's why it's so weird that they're that they're doing this at all. Like, like to me, this the perhaps more appropriate aesthetic would be something like when they're trying to get to Helm's Deep in uh, the Two Towers, when they're you know, and they're all the whole town is evac, all of Rohan is evacuating to to Helm's Deep. Like that's the sort of you know grim, you know, rushed, frightened you know sort of thing. And and while they're in that case, those are civilians, and these are soldiers, it's still you know, perhaps a better analogy. It was just funny to see this because, despite the medieval, you know, clothes and armor and, and and all the rest of it, I just every time they would sit on their horses watching this caravan of uh, heading in, it just it looked like something out of a, a western. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that well, was it, funny. it becomes appropriate at the end of the episode when it turns out they are the underdogs and they are you know completely annihilated and they have no chance of of. Oh yeah. Facing well, this yeah. Enemy. In some ways, yes. Yeah, you're right. It does. It does sort of. Fit. Um, but it's it. You're right. As it's introduced, it does aesthetic wise. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like golden Although, tones, um, like very sunny. Like, you know. I, how else were they gonna, you know, transfer the gold? I guess is what I'm. You no, know, certainly, you know what I mean? certainly. But I'm just saying that like there's. You know, no, I get what you're saying. Caravan in 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 the two towers, and it was for, uh, and it was completely it was like gray and 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 grim and just very just very different. Again. You do whatever you want. It's your, you know, it's their show. Uh, I just thought it was funny that uh, that that was the imagery that they were they seemed to be going for. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so the beginning of this episode, I thought was really odd. Aside from the the uh, the aesthetic, I thought it was really odd that they started with Braun and his. Um, first of all, Braun, who we saw last episode, didn't mention him because um, he's not, you know, just appears uh, as part of the army that takes. Um, Highgarden, but I thought it was a bit weird to start this episode with him complaining about not getting X, Y, and Z, and I honestly can't even remember what he was promised, what he got. He ended up becoming a lord or a knight, or he wanted to marry this person or that person, but he didn't really want to marry them. I honestly don't remember any of that, because it was the least interesting thing about Bronn that they could focus on. And then they brought it back, where it's like, he's complaining about it. I was like, why would you open an episode with this, of all the other things that are going on? And of course, it's so that we can remember who Bronn is because he's going to be important at the in the final scene of the episode which is but to me at the mo- in the moment I just thought it was very odd well yeah and it's it's it didn't stand out to me um I like Braun a lot um but you're right I think this his um his greed is not the most interesting thing about his character and when that is really 
what he's expressing uh it's not the greatest expression of his character's potential mm-hmm. um you know when we think of the scenes with the uh, I, mean, I won't say we when i think of the scenes that i like about braun it's stuff you know when he's training with jamie when he's ribbing jamie when he's being kind of a jerk but like he's a likable jerk mm-hmm. yeah, um yeah. but yeah th- this isn't the it's not a great bronze scene, but I agree with it. It's meant to, like, uh, I guess, reintroduce his character because we haven't seen him. I mean, we haven't seen him at all this season except for briefly last episode. And I don't remember when the last time we saw him was, but I feel like it's been quite a while. Well, he was involved in all that Dorn crap. So oh, he sort of right. blocked him out. It's the main... The main yeah, I've, yeah I've, I've, I've repressed uh, those memories of that plot. And in that case, again, he didn't die, even though he probably should have... Um, because it was that poison, but then he wasn't affected by it, or he got the antidote, or there wasn't... Yeah, Game of Thrones characters have, have, uh, plot armor all of a sudden, um, where it used to be like, as, and like, we'll get to this at the end, but it used to be like, if a character was in that situation on this show, they would die, oh, yeah. and that's it. Um, but now all of a sudden, now that we're just down to, like, the main, main characters, they can, like, get out of any situation, they're really any legal Bron situation around, they want. I don't fully understand. Yeah, like, Bronn... I, yeah, I mean, they could have had him die yeah, in this maybe battle. Maybe get to this been, at the end. It would have been meaningful and fine. I mean, a little weird. I think he should. Finished. I think he should have died. I, but we could talk about that when we get yeah, to the yeah, battle. Yeah. But I agree with you. He probably should have died here. I mean, it wasn't a great episode to remind us why we like him because, again, this is a weird way to do it, where he's like scrabbling for gold in a castle and a bunch of other stuff, and you're like, well, why? Um, and they even focus on that later uh, in in the final battle. Why focus on this? Um, but I think that you know it would be normal to just end that storyline because Jamie and Cersei are the only ones who really matter ultimately in this whole thing. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, of course, it's foreshadowing. It wasn't like it was. Uh, uh, it's not. There's no problem with this, but it was funny because in the next scene they're talking. Cersei's talking to the the dude from the Iron Bank. Um, and about how, oh, it's all going to be fine because we're going to pay all the debt and yada, yada, yada. And you're just like, oh, obviously this is going to go terribly. Like, clearly there's something horrible is going to happen. Um, because why else would we have this scene where she's talking, where he's like, when we get the money, it will be this way, you know, X, Y, Z. When we get it, which is probably going to happen, but maybe not. But we don't know what's going to happen because, you know, it's like it's like he's talking to the audience. Um, and... Yeah, and, and and I do want to just ask that quick question. In that final battle, again, not to get into the battle just yet, but um, does the money make it through the gate? Because they say it does, and then it's just like the tail end of the caravan that gets attacked, right? It, um, yeah, I mean, we don't know how long the caravan is, but it looks like anything that was there is, is demolished. It's not, it's gone. Anything that was there, um, but he said something like, you know, we've got the money through the gate, so he's like, great, we need to get I don't. I don't remember that, but it's, I mean, it's, it's possible. It would be. It would be weird to have this scene with Cersei and the Iron Bank guy. Um, I mean, I, I, except as ironic foreshadowing, I guess. Um, but given that Cersei is kind of laying out her future plans here, to have them just completely demolished by the end of the episode would be um, kind of a strange choice. This show isn't normally about like that kind of uh, dramatic irony, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, yeah, I missed that line about how they'd gotten some of the money through. I thought um, I thought that's what they had said, but maybe I'm not. Uh, I'm not right there. So, um, in this not scene, all of it. I mean, I think we can agree on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this scene with Cersei and the Iron Bank uh, dude, he doesn't have a name, does he? I don't know. His name is Tycho, apparently. What? 
Okay, well. That is what I'm looking at right now, yeah. I don't think they've ever said it, ever. Oh, yeah, it's Tycho Nestoris. Tycho Nestoris, no kidding. Okay, well, there you go. Um, so, they had had some discussion about some other group that Cersei was going to try to employ. Do you remember what she said? It was yeah. like Golden Sons or... The Golden Company, yeah. Golden Company. Um, they've probably been mentioned on the show before. They don't... They're always kind of on the periphery in the books. Um, it's not until the fifth book that they really become important uh, in a in a storyline, in a, a an incredibly important storyline that's been completely excised. Oh, that's <laughs> um, yeah. Which I won't. It it's 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 so significant that I won't even spoil it. Um, even though it's not going to happen on the show, just in case there are people who haven't read the books. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's a huge thing, and the. Uh, the Golden Company basically are on the way. It's it's part of, it's partially what they're doing with Daenerys now. Basically, someone is taking the Golden Company to invade Westeros. Oh. Um, wow. I yeah, I believe I believe that's what happened anyway. But um, yeah, they are basically they're you know sell, they're a sellsword company basically. They're like the uh, but like a big one. Um, a, you know, Golden mm-hmm. <laughs> Golden should communicate that. Um. So she is, I get, yeah, she like she says she's going to try and hire them to fight for the Lannisters, and uh, we'll see how that goes, I guess. Well, not if she doesn't have any money. Yeah. I suppose it depends. Um, so <laughs> we uh, we also, you had uh, expressed some interest in, uh, we had gotten a comment about the Iron Bank. Oh, yes. Um, someone, we had talked last week about how they never establish on the show like why people should be afraid mm-hmm. of the Iron Bank because they don't seem to have any like method of enforcement of their debts. Um, and someone in the comments, MSG, uh, thank you, reminded us, reminded me <laughs> about the books that there is an implication that um, the Faceless Men are like the enforcers of the Iron Bank, not explicitly. Um, I mean that the the Faceless Men don't do anything, you know, out in public. Um, but that's sort of the rumor is like, you know, if you don't pay your debts, the, they'll send a, an assassin to, to come get you. Um, but that's why people are, that's why people have reason to be intimidated by the Iron Bank is because of that. I don't think they've ever said that on the show. I don't think they would say that on the show because it wouldn't make any sense with what we know about the Iron Bank. Or sorry, what we know about the Faceless Men is that they operate under a completely different set of rules. And if the whole thing is that they're just mercenaries for, that's not a thing. No, the faceless men don't work for money. Well, they can. I've seen. Um, I mean, they take contracts. Um, for sure. Hmm. And I guess maybe that's all it is. Hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it's not true of the books. Maybe it is, but I just feel like on the show it would be a bit weird. You'd be like, I guess they could say that, but it's just like it never came up in the entire time Arya was there, so it would be a bit odd to me. As a viewer, just to be like, yeah, because well, the faceless men don't the faceless men don't care about who is you know hiring them. It doesn't matter to them, right? So, so, it so if generally, it yes, you know, you know, they could, but like they could be, you know, you then could call them the enforcement arm of anybody who asks them to be their enforcement arm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, according to the show, I don't know what the books are. Books have to say on that. Um. But yeah, so uh, but yeah, so that is interesting though. Uh, maybe that's the explanation we can go with for for now uh, at least. Um, but yeah, why would why would anyone care about why would anyone care about the Iron Bank, you know, um, or or pissing them? I guess you can't get any more loans after that, so they do have that sort of power. Also, they're the only bank in the entire like Game of Thrones universe. 
I mean, yeah, that's something we haven't talked about, but that is something I've thought about every time they come up. Uh, yeah, they, it doesn't seem like there's another bank. They seem to kind of have a monopoly on the concept of banks. Break in up this... the big banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's why everything is, is gone to hell in this world. Clearly, uh, evidently. Yeah. It's the Iron Bank. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's... It, I mean, part of it is, like, only the richest families can even bother. I don't think there's, like, peasants have, they don't have savings accounts with the Iron Bank. Mm. It's really just, you know, if you need someone to pay your army, mm. uh, you call them up. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, by the way, uh, it's worth noting, also, we had a, a comment from one um, Amy James. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my my mother. Don't know. Um, anyway, she she made a, a good point though. Uh, last episode we didn't really address this, but um, it was a this fun sort of logical loop where uh, knowing that Cersei has an army that she has to pay and doesn't have any money, and that the Lannisters are sort of at the end of their rope. Um, surely Olena, who somehow is in Highgarden, would know that she would the first thing she would do is try and take the money from Olena, who's declared war against her, basically. And Olena has all the money in Highgarden. And that she has all the... She kept all the money. And so, knowing this, she still kept all the money in Highgarden and didn't make any sort of effort to move it or in some way try to obfuscate this plan that was, like, very evidently going to come. Um, which, again, and then as, as she points out also, she says... Uh, you know, she just made a point about how she's a mastermind and has been manipulating and, and staying in the shadows and figuring things out for so long. And then the next episode, she's already, you know, basically given herself up and all the money she has um, to Cersei because she decided not to, you know, come up with a nice way of strategy to move it. Um, so it's a good point. Uh, and it is a bit of an odd, an odd decision. I suppose it's difficult to move all that money, but clearly the Lannisters, the Lannisters did it all the way across... Uh, Westeros, um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's it is a good point. It's it's odd that they would keep <laughs> all of their money in a place that's guarded by people they admit like are bad at fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not a secure location by any stretch of the imagination. Um, yeah, and it's obviously uh, quite desirable. Um, I think they've just, I mean, the Tyrells have just coasted on their alliances for so long. They haven't had to worry about someone coming to steal their gold. Uh, because you know the Lannisters or whoever will um, are the, can back them up, but it 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 makes sense that it it, it this this point <laughs> that your mom made makes sense. Like if you're gonna ally uh, with Daenerys, you know that uh, the Lannisters are coming for your gold. Yeah, exactly. Beca because that's the only reason you were allied with them in the first yeah, place. Exactly. It's like well, if you're not gonna <laughs> do it through alliance, then we're just gonna take it. Like. It's the Lannisters. You've seen what they've done. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I understand she seemed to be, like, ready to throw in the towel at the end. Seemed to be. She didn't make any effort to try and escape. She didn't make any effort. She was just, like, done and wanted them to know about what she did and whatever. But then, like, why um, ally with Daenerys in the first place if you're just going to throw in the towel as soon as you get pushed at all? I mean, it's just silly. Um, but whatever. Uh, we'll just leave that, <laughs> let that to one side. Um, so then we, uh, we head over to, to Winterfell, where we have this, uh, I think it's meeting with, uh, Littlefinger and Bran, I think is the first scene we get in Winterfell. Yes, uh, Littlefinger gives Bran this, uh, 
the dagger, the Valyrian steel dagger that was dagger. used to try to kill him way back in season one. Mm. By the way, really good um, prop. Uh, it, it's it looks very. It looks like what you so in the book. I'm sure it was described as a very fancy dagger or whatever, but it feels very ornate in the show and and very different than like your average uh, average dagger or swords. I, I don't know. I thought it was every time I saw it because they kept describing it as being very nice and also it seemed very nice like visually. I was, it was impressive. Um, and yeah, I they do good, they do a good job of like distinguishing Valyrian steel from yes, just regular steel, exactly. which I imagine isn't, uh, it, it must be pretty difficult just to get that across visually. But I agree, with the design of the dagger, I think they did a good job. Well, you see, you really see it later, because everyone always says needle is nice, and it, it seems like a very elegant, simple design. But when you see Arya later with the dagger and needle on, on either side, you can tell, like, which one is the, you know, million-dollar dagger versus the, like, nice sword you know like these are two completely different items um and that's when it really stuck out to me i think um so one uh two things about uh the dagger uh the first is apparently john bradley the um uh the guy plays uh samuel tarley um i, I read this in an article uh, which i can i can link out but anyway uh, he was asked to linger on an illustration of the dagger in the season premiere, which I completely missed. Um, huh. So apparently it has some, nobody really knows, from the articles I read, nobody really knows what the significance is, but this dagger seems to have more importance than um, I guess we've been sort of led to believe. Um, in the books, and maybe you know this already, it was Joffrey's yeah. dagger? Um, and again, this is we talked about like we talked about last week with Elena. Um, this is, I think, a better example because I don't know if it was ever made clear that Joffrey is the one who tried to kill Bran. I think he might have mentioned it to Sansa at one point, but it would have been so long ago that yeah, I, I just don't, don't think, remember. Yeah, I don't think they did. But it, it's such a it's a strange reveal to have now because like it's so past was it mattering to anything that's going on that that Joffrey was the one to do it. But it's funny that they kept it, like, just, just by not answering it, it's been a one of the most long-standing mysteries on the entire show. It is, and maybe they're going to make it a different story, because now making it Joffrey would be like, well, he's dead, who cares, right? Um, it wouldn't be that exciting to anyone. So they might be changing the story around, which would be cool to me, I guess, because, you know, why not? Um, so, but it's a bit weird that they were, you know, that there's clearly, you know, the, the showrunners are trying to make it a thing, and I'm not sure what that thing is, but... Um, what is clear is that Littlefinger is trying to use it to manipulate Bran, but doesn't realize that Bran is, you know, perpetually stoned out of his mind. Yeah. Apparently. I hope this is a running theme this season of, of Littlefinger trying to manipulate the Starks and, like, getting Failing. absolutely nowhere. Because <laughs> um, we had that scene with Sansa an episode true, or two yeah. ago, too. I'm sure he's going to try with Arya. Um, and and so, yeah, John, I, I hope that episode... That... Uh, that moment with John where he just freaked out and slammed him into the wall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just funny because, like, every time we've seen Littlefinger so far, it's like he's he's already established a relationship with people, and we don't really see how that happened. He's just already ingratiated himself with all the powerful people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny to see him in a position where he has to, like, try to start those relationships, and his process... Um, Whatever it is, it's not working. It doesn't work on Sansa or John uh, or Bran. 
Um, so Littlefinger is in a in a pretty bad position right now. He's in a bad position for that, and also for something directly related to Bran, uh, which um, we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, these are also kids who saw what Littlefinger did up close and personal, and know he's like creepy and weird in a thousand different ways. So it's a lot harder to get it get one over on them. Other, than, you know, when Littlefinger was in sort of an unknown entity. His fame may have caught up with him because now he's, you know, the Lord of of the whatever of River Run. Um, he no of the of um the Vale, the Vale, vale. yeah. Um, he he was on the Small Council. Like people know who he is now. He doesn't just run a brothel somewhere. He's not just an acquaintance of people that everyone seems to sort of know. He's pretty like well known figure, and so because of this. It's much harder for him to to be like, no, no, I'm a trustworthy guy. You can trust me. Like, no, we all know who you are. You, hmm. You're a backstabbing piece of crap, and we all hate you. So it's it's I think right. a lot more difficult for him now to make any of these these inroads. Um, so in this exchange with uh, with Bran, he says, you know, Bran, of course, you know, this is what everyone's been talking about the, about this episode. But he says, uh, Bran says. As as Littlefinger's trying to get him to, to take this dagger and make it a thing, um, Bran says, you know, chaos is a ladder, which is a quote from season three between Littlefinger and Varys talking about, you know, their role in society and, and what's going on there. Um, and it freaks Littlefinger out because he realizes that, you know, Bran really is not... A, it, the dagger thing's not going to work because <laughs> that was a stupid <laughs> idea. Uh, and second, um, if... If Bran knows that, Bran knows A, that he tried to kill his dad, probably, right? And, or Dig Cavett basically was the one who betrayed his, his father, because that just seems to be a, a thing they don't know. Um, or actually, inevitable. And in fact, they keep going back to Ned's grave, so maybe that it will be revealed and that's going to be a significant thing. But also, yeah, it means I was going to mention that later. They, they have a lot of scenes in, that, in the crypt. Yeah. Um, we, we keep, we keep going there. Um, but also it means that Bran knows all of his secrets, which is literally his ammunition for everything. So <laughs> that may be a reason that Littlefinger may want to kill Bran or in some way try to kill Bran, um, which will be, well, we'll see how it plays out for this season. But I think, uh, that's a very real possibility because if he's seen as a liability to Littlefinger's ascent, which is his whole like life's purpose, um, he may decide that Bran needs to go, uh, which I have a feeling will not work. There'll be some sort of mitigating factor, but I, I do think that that might be his next move. Um, yeah, it would make sense. I mean, yeah, like you said, a guy like Littlefinger, your biggest enemy is someone who uh, can see right through you. Exactly. Who knows all your secrets. So Bran is certainly is a huge liability to whatever Littlefinger is trying to do. Exactly. And... He's basically, you know, he's doesn't seem to be able to fight back or whatever, so I don't think it would be that hard for Littlefinger to kill him. I guess it would be hard for him to do it without anyone noticing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I it just, I, to me, I feel like that's a, a pretty reasonable assumption that that, that plotline is going to, to unfold. Um, we also get a scene between Bran and Mira. Yeah, I hope this isn't the last we see of Mira, because I really like her. Um, and it, it's kind of a sad way for this character to go out. We've barely seen her this season, and then she just, you know, has this emotional scene, and then leaves. Yeah, well, it's 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 funny, because, like, 
she's speaking to Bran, but I think she's also she can also be speaking to like just the way her character has been shortchanged through the entire show. Like all her entire purpose has been to drag Bran around, basically. Yep. And to protect him. And then at the end of it, all she she doesn't even get a goodbye. Like she just has she just leaves. Um which makes me I hope that the show is self-aware enough to realize that that's what's been going on um, and will bring her back to do something uh, that does that does justice to the character. But as it stands, yeah, this is a really sad, sad scene and, and a kind of uh, a disappointing way to say goodbye to this character. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you hope that. And I don't have a problem with Mira. I think she's cool as a character. Um, but uh, from like the... From what little I know of her. I mean, she had some good moments. Was it last season? We had those really beautiful shots where they're looking out over like the winter landscape. I think it was last season. Um, and so there were some good moments there. Um, but I don't know that there's that many people who watch the show going, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm hoping we get more Mera this episode. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of people don't well, that's even know because, Yeah, name. but exactly. That's because she's barely in it. Yeah. Like, they don't give her anything to do. And it's unfair because, like... First of all, I, we we haven't talked about. I mean, we probably have. We probably haven't talked about her on this show in an eternity. Mm. But like, um, her dad was uh, one of the only other people who was there when John yeah. was born. Which you so would like, think they would lean into her character more because they want her in you know, the reads to exactly. Be characters, but you would like her. Just that fact alone made her. Especially after, like, that was finally revealed last season. You would think that, all right, finally, she has a bigger place in the plot. Did, did they make um, it clear no. that that was her? Because I think people still don't understand that, based on those visions, that, that Mira is related to that. Like, I don't think people know that that's what's going on. Maybe not. And I, I mean, yeah, at this point, they could just, you know, throw it away. Like, it wouldn't even matter. Um, but, but it does seem like a waste. Why she's, since she's in it. Yeah, exactly. It's a waste of the, of, of the character. Um, I, she did say she was going home though, so it would be cool if, you know, maybe we're going to get, eh, I, I wouldn't bank on it. I really wouldn't, but we could get a see. you know, we started following Sam around who thought that was going to happen. You know, what if we get a scene <laughs> of, of Mira going home and, and we get like some introduction to the read so that we can see how that plays into anything else going on in the show. Um, that'd be nice. Yeah. That'd be nice. I mean, yeah, they still have to unravel the whole the characters in the show still have to unravel the John thing. Mm. So she, maybe we'll, she'll have some kind of uh, place in, in how that goes down. I hope so. Cause it was a missed opportunity if they don't. I mean, she's, if she weren't on the show, I wouldn't be like, bring her in. That's silly. But since she is, you know, do it. And her and her brother were both, you know, significant characters. Um, I also wonder, it's just a completely unrelated note, uh, but I do wonder if they're going to bring back uh, Sean Bean for, like, some sort of grand vision or anything before the show closes. Yeah, I, I'll be shocked if they don't, honestly. It really? seems like such a missed opportunity. Well, the one time they did do, uh, like, a flashback, I guess maybe Sean Bean's too old, they used a different actor yeah. um, for, for I'll be pretty Because it just, like... Didn't really work. Like, when the show started... When the show started, Sean Bean was like the draw. It was like, wow, the show has such a it has like this big star. Yeah, this like yeah, um, this A level. But now the cast. show is the show is so much bigger than than Sean Bean's like career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like it wouldn't it wouldn't be like oh we how how are we ever gonna get Sean Bean back? Yeah, he'd be like um, uh, yes, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, please. How long is how long is the scene, please? <laughs> 
That's so mean. But it's true. I think that he would definitely be willing to come back. Plus, I think he, he I don't know, maybe he doesn't like, maybe he hasn't watched the show. He's like, I have no idea what's going on that show. <laughs> we do know that Jason Momoa watches. I don't know if right. you saw, but he posted on Instagram after this most recent episode where he's like, oh, it was so great. I'll I'll uh, I'll link, make sure I include a link in the uh, the story. But he's 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 a big proponent of the um, the Thraki, obviously, and keeps <laughs> talking about how uh, how he his quote unquote wife is killing it and she's awesome and it's super badass and she he wishes he could be there kicking ass on the battlefield with all the rest of the Dothraki. <laughs> like it's really odd. He's like from beyond the grave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really good. Um, uh, so he watches, but I don't know if Sean Bean cares about Game of Thrones at all. I haven't heard from him since he died on the show. So I have no idea. Um, but yeah, so that's that. We get this, the scene with Mira. Um, yeah, so then Arya shows up at Winterfell. So I guess on a couple of points, I was completely wrong. So I want to concede that really quick. Uh, <laughs> no, Arya didn't uh, get the... I guess it was meant to be ambiguous because based on what Bran says later, it was ambiguous even to him, and he's a three-eyed raven. So, come on, if the three-eyed raven didn't get it, then how was I supposed to get it? Um, but when uh, she ran into Nymeria, the, the, her direwolf, I thought that the point was that she, her place isn't at Winterfell, it's in following her own path, um, much like Nymeria is following her own path. And I thought that was the message there, but instead she just went home, so... Um, I was wrong about that, and I was also wrong that um, perhaps the person who, the handmaiden or whatever in King's Landing, was Arya. Um, maybe the person who Arya ends up impersonating, but is not, um, is not currently Arya, uh, with the one who, who walks in on Cersei and, and Jaime. Um, so I was wrong on both those accounts. She shows up to Winterfell, and uh, yeah, um, what do you think of this? Um. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like this should be a bigger moment than it feels like to me, and I don't know why it it didn't hit me. No, oh, that's interesting. Um, I thought they did this pretty. Unlike other scenes, I thought they did this pretty well. We've gotten there were other like there was uh, John and Daenerys meeting, and we didn't feel that was very big or significant. And then um, there was Bran and Sansa, which again sort of got undercut. Um, but I thought Arya arriving at Winterfell was a significant moment, and I liked her reunion with Sansa as well. I thought that this was a bit more what you might expect well, I, after seven seasons. I just feel like they haven't—they don't play up enough how much the characters have really changed. Because when these two last saw each other, they hated each other, um, and I wish they had done more about like how them. I wish they had done more with the two of them reconciling displaying how much they had evolved and how much they had both matured. Oh, um, oh that's funny. How different they were. I don't think that... I feel like they just kind of weirdly glossed over that. And there's the mention of Arya's list, um, which, once again, Sansa... <laughs> once, again, once again, is treated like it's a joke by Sansa, but then um, Bran later reveals that it's it's real. Um, but yeah, I wish they had done more with um, with this scene. Yeah, I you know, it's... Uh, so I, I... I guess I disagree, because I think the... Um, well, first of all, the fact that they, I forgot that they've left in a fight. I don't remember when that was, but, um, but. It, well, they just didn't like, they just, they were just, you know. They weren't very close. They were sisters. They had completely different personalities. They didn't get along. Um, but now that they've both 
changed so much, it's it's strange that they kind of just jump back into this relationship that didn't exist when they left. Well, maybe that's why, though, is that they're, A, they're thankful for family. I mean, it's not like they hated each other. They just, you know, were maybe in, in maybe they were in different places and different, but, you know, they're older, they've gone through sort of hell, and they now finally have, if, if they can trust no one else, theoretically, they can trust family. And so far, the Starks have, nobody has proven to be like an evil, traitor, terrible person. Except for Cat. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I can still keep my my cat hate train going. All right, I know she died like four seasons ago, but uh, it's it's still hurts. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, I think that they, you know, if I was in a if I got into a fight with my sister and then didn't see her again for like five years and like all the stuff that happened to them happened to me, I would probably not remember or care about that. And I would be really happy to see her again. I don't know. Just, well, it seems like a reasonable, that... and she does seem to be fair. Arya does seem sort of ten- tentative at first. They, they, when they first, you know, Sansa hugs her, but Arya's like, I, I don't do physical contact. I haven't really done that in a while, but then sort of warms and, you know, warms up to it. And, and, I don't know. I, I I thought it was I thought it was effective, but I also really like the scene before that. I really like the scene where, um, of course, her coming in is you know it's cute where she's with, the, with the guards who don't know who she is or whatever. But I really like the scene where she's sitting down and looking around Winterfell, and she sees the wolf flag and she sees the or whatever banner and she sees the um so she sees the Stark sigil and she sees what significantly where Ned stood in the first episode when they're doing archery practice and she ends up shooting the arrow that Bran seems to be completely failing at. Um, and I immediately thought back to all those scenes. It's clearly shot, I think in a way where to remind us about those scenes that happened way back in the beginning. And I, I really like that and, and seeing it all considering all the things that have happened in Winterfell. Uh, again, the contrast for me, I thought was, was cool. So that when she then saw Sansa, I thought that was all sort of prelude and, and, and really emphasized that, you know, she's acclimating to this, like, return to where she where she lived, even though she still remains a very different person, of, of, you know, of course, from her list and all the rest of it. Um, and there is still that conflict, by the way. You know, she has this, this um, duel with, with, with Brienne, and it's very exciting, whatever, but, you know, Sansa's not happy, you know, uh, very evidently. Uh, unhappy with um, what Arya has sort of become or what she does now. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe she's worried she'll get her to put herself in danger. She's feels sad that her family is like, you know, one of her family members is like a murderer now <laughs> for hire or who knows. Um, but she is, you know, unhappy with this, this change, you know, beyond the surface level when she starts to probe a little bit, so... Yeah, I, but uh, I guess my problem really is that, like, and I get that it's, you know, there's only so much stuff you can fit into one episode, and I'm sure they'll explore this going forward, <laughs> but they just kind of, like, they just kind of leave it there. It's not really, it, it, what, however Sansa reacts to that fight, like, it doesn't mean anything yet. It's just sort of, she seems unhappy, and we don't really know why, and it's not, you know, there's no, it, it's not reflected really in her dynamic with Arya yet um so it was just kind of frustrating I, to see like ugh, like can we you know are we gonna do something here or are we just gonna <laughs> I guess we'll just see. gonna kind of leave this I guess we'll see what that means I I guess uh you know it's so funny you know thinking about to, to Deadwood 
they would do so many things with so many characters in the same amount of time that Game of Thrones runs, and it seems like night and day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, like they, w- I agree, they wouldn't do that. With like, they would go through a car- some sort of relationship building or something in an episode. <laughs> um, that said, I liked it. I mean, I thought this was fine, and and uh, we'll see what what it exactly means. Um, but I think that there is that contrast to the last time she saw her, she was like this, you know, sort of bratty little kid who would, you know, throw things and whatever, and was sort of tomboyish and whatnot. And then now she's, you know, an adult and it's, you know, it's hard to see your, your sibling go off to college, you know, get married, whatever. It's it's just, it's a, it's a different sort of, uh, thing to process and probably a lot more significant when that thing puts them in direct danger or harm's way or makes them a murderer or whatever so I, again you're right we'll have to see where that what that is but i think that they are drawing on that contrast of the last time she saw her she was like a like a, just a little kid um to say that this is this is freaking sansa out now that she's not like that sansa is a different person for sure but it's still more or less like sort of similar to you know more older more mature but hasn't changed her personality too, too much. Whereas, like, I feel like Arya is completely different at this point. See, I disagree. I feel like I feel like Arya is much more similar to how she really? was than Sansa Ooh. is now. Um, Arya is just, you know, Arya has has more combat training. Um, no, but, but she used to be like funny her... and laugh and like, but she doesn't do any of that anymore. She laughs with Sansa in the in the scene for like five um, for like five seconds, but by and large, no, but she doesn't seem she, happy she unless she's, this, she's, she's waving her sword around. Ba- you know, she is just as feisty. She's just as, um, you know, uh, kind of proud of her uh, ability. She is just. I, I don't really? think personality-wise, I don't think Arya has changed much. She's maybe a bit. She's much more violent. Um, but that's really only Consider because she now the has, first, the, ca- the, she has the capability time... to be more violent. Whereas Sansa, who was used to be so, when they last saw each other, she was so, you know, prissy and she was petulant. Well, that's like, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And now she's much more mature. She's I like like um, Arya, much more um, uh, quick to uh, kind of, uh, you know. And we saw we saw this with uh, her scenes with John. He was much more level-headed and about uh, kind of attacking people and taking vengeance on people. And uh, she was the one who was counseling him to, no, you got to, you know, take these people out. You can't, you can't forgive anything. Right. You can't trust them to not, you know, come and stab you in the back later. But, I, um, but I mean, last episode when we saw her with, with Arya with Hot Pie versus the last time she was with Hot Pie, which was, even though everything was going, was terrible. She was, you know, you know, joking around and whatever. Or, or when she goes to, um, uh, when she meets those soldiers on the road, she smiles briefly, but by and large, she's like really cold and emotionless and detached from everything. And that just wasn't the way Arya was when she was, you know, at Winterfell in the beginning. She was throwing food. She was being silly. She was, you know, ambitiously throwing herself into the middle of interactions with other people. And now, partially because of her combat training, but also just in general, she's, you know, keeps to the shadows. She tries not to really interact with people. She doesn't like to interact with people even that she knows. The only person she's doing that with is Sansa, and she's her literal family member. But by and large, she doesn't seem to want to... I, I just think that she's... I think she's changed quite a bit. But isn't she... She throws herself in the middle of Brienne and Podrick in this episode. Well, that's, again, because that's what I'm saying. The only thing she enjoys is fighting. So that, yes. Oh, uh, well, all right. But... 
but like she seemed to like other things too before. <laughs> now she doesn't seem to be like engaged with any of it. She's eating when she eats the whole. There's a whole scene where she where she meets Hot Pie again, and she just sits there staring off blankly into the distance, eating pie, like as if it's it, it might as well be you know cardboard. She doesn't care. She's just you know soullessly staring off and contemplating how she's going to kill the next person on her list. Which, I don't know, to me seems like a very different person than the one we met in the beginning of the, the first... Actually, partially why I like her a lot less now as a character. You know, in the beginning I was like, Arya and Tyrion are probably the characters I care about most. That was definitely something I said very frequently. Um, back in season one or whatever. Uh, but it was because she was, like, engaging and fun and sort of spunky and whatever. And, you know, by season four or five she was just like... I am no one. I will not. I am going to kill these people on this list. And it's just, ugh, it's boring. But she certainly changed. I mean, for me, anyway, it seems like. And it was, in, uh, that's why I liked seeing her express some emotion finally in seeing Sansa. I thought that was quite, um, quite new. Uh, and it was only really at, 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 at Sansa's behest. But I suppose we'll, we'll have to just see how, how their relationship plays out. Um,. Yeah, and then they have this another weird reunion with Bran, where Bran continues to be strange. And gives her the dagger, too. And does give her the dagger, which is not what, probably what Littlefinger had anticipated, which does make for... No. <laughs> uh, does throw a monkey wrench in his plans. But that was really funny when Bran's like, well, I don't have any reason to have it, and just hands it off. Do you? How do you feel about Bran now, that we've had a couple episodes of him being... Oh, yeah, we, we kind of skimmed over it, but in that scene with Mira, there's kind of an explanation of why he's like this, which is I'll paraphrase but he basically says like I've lived, I've experienced so many things and I've lived so many lives that like I don't even remember being Bran Stark anymore Yeah, exactly, he doesn't even Um, seem to really Yeah, and I I I criticized in the last episode his this characterization, but with that explanation, I think this is actually really cool I love the idea that he is just become so lost in other people's experiences that he has no he has no connection to the person he used to be anymore. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's really yeah, I'm genuinely like it. I know it seems like a very um boring performance, but I like it and I think it's different than um it's funny cuz we haven't seen Bran run since the first episode. But I, when I think of Bran in the beginning, I think of that first maybe because I watched the first episode so many times. I think of him running across that roof and falling, you know, and, and sorry, scaling the tower and falling off and all And, uh, and even when he was, you know, bedridden, he was still, you know, in some, you know, spirits and whatever, and he was still willing to have conversations and things like that. And to see that to now, I don't think that's because Isaac Hempstead Wright became a super boring person. I think, <laughs> I think that this is the way he's, you know, decided to take the character. And I, I don't know, personally, I think it's... I think it's cool, and it's cool even better now that we're getting this explanation, but I think we got a little bit of that before. Um, and uh, it's a little more forgivable now, but it was it was good when Sansa was like, yeah, he's not he's not going to be... He's not himself. It's just a forewarning. Um, <laughs> which I, you know, is kind of uh, exactly how we were all feeling and expecting as, as, as they went into that reunion. Um, yeah. So, I suppose that's, uh, that's that. Um, should we jump to Daenerys and John? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, 
Yeah, I'm just gonna let you take the scene. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so, um, John kind of takes Daenerys into the Dragonglass Mine alone, which they've made quick work of. Um, again, this is another example of the show getting kind of uh, strange with its time skips. They've there's this huge cave already. And they've dug pretty deep, so it's not really clear how long. No, it's no, no. Been, I think but... I thought the implication was that it, it was a cavern. Like you, when you go into mines. Oh well, like... yeah, exactly. But it would, the opening of the cavern is quite large, and I don't know what. Like they don't, they don't, they don't have like jackhammers <laughs> to like. No, 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 but to get in there. Right, right. But the which what he seemed to be saying is we haven't started doing anything yet. Well, they haven't started excavating. They haven't started yet. excavating, so I didn't. I assumed that it was natural, and that that it was just like a hole in like between rocks that he walked into. And that they're looking at all these things. Because, I mean, clearly people were in there before. That was the whole point. Is that That's why they see the cave painting. Right. I mean, I, my thought, I guess, was, like, if, it, if it's a natural cave opening, then why did it take Sam reading it in a book for people to know that there's a huge amount of dragon glass under there? Because no one's looking. I mean, Obsidian's not I get, But, like, if my, my, my thought was, like, like it, it, it's probably hidden. Like it's if it's sitting on a mountain of dragon glass, you probably have to dig to get it. That was my assumption: um, is that it was somewhere a bit more obscure. But it seems like the cave was just there. Nobody bothered to look because why would anybody need dragon glass? Right. But anyway, so they go into the cave, and he <laughs> he shows her these like uh, cave drawings that the children of the forest made, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's showing, hey, you know, back then, look. Uh, the, and he's waving his torch around. The humans and the children of the forest, they work together against their common enemy. And he dramatically shows the White Walkers, who are carved in much more detail than the humans or the children of the forest mm. for some reason. Um, but it's, you yeah, know, I noticed it's a great... that with the blue eyes and the bones. <laughs> they put a lot of effort yeah. into the White Walkers for some reason. Um, but it's a great... It's no, You, you can enemy. only imagine how excited John must have been to find this... To, to stumble across this perfect metaphor for his current situation... Mm that he can show to Daenerys. Um, and she seems to be... She's all she's convinced, like, she obviously wants to see the cave drawings, that, like, all right, so the White Walkers aren't fake. Like, here's evidence that they existed at one point, probably, assuming that it's not just, you know, someone wasn't just making it up to carve in this cave. I think John did it right um, before she came in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they look so different. Mm. Um, but yeah, but she says... Uh, all right, I'll fight for you, but you do have to bend the knee. Like she's not gonna. Well, yeah, she almost uh, seems to cave, and then, huh, and then she. Hmm. Uh, I haven't done puns in a while. Why? What happened to my puns? <laughs> I used to do oh. puns all the time, and there's the puns, the pun pun world dried up. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, she seemed like she was about to capitulate, and then he, um, then she just was like, no, actually, you know what, no. Um, and uh, you know he's he's in a tough place because, on one hand, yeah, it's worthwhile signing your allegiance to some other random person if it means preventing the White Walkers from coming in. Like obviously, uh, but on the other hand, he does have a responsibility to the people who sent him down. Yeah, and so. I mean, she makes a good she makes a good case where she says, like, look, you know, what's more important, you and your people surviving, or you and your people. Um, you know, getting to keep your you getting to keep your title, um, and obviously I think independence <laughs> uh, is is quite important um, in general. But she makes a compelling argument that like, look, if you want to survive, then this whole like king in the north thing can't be your top priority anymore. 
and your people will just have to deal with that and they'll un- they'll have to understand that you made a decision to save them and save the entire country. And but the they're already world. sort of taking it on faith. Well, I guess not the wildlings, but a lot of them are taking it on faith that John is even telling the truth. So it's already like, it's not like they've seen the White Walkers and they like they'll be like, I, we understand this is more important. We'll figure the other stuff out later. They're gonna be like, okay, so first you tell us about some nonsense about skeletons, but we just went along with it. And then now you're telling us you're you've sold us all out to some random queen. Why why would you do that? I don't understand. <laughs> You're like, well, the White Walkers. Yeah, we haven't seen the White Walkers. You know, I can see how that would not. No, go well, on. the peop the peop that's not a. It's not a, for the people in the north. That's not a. Uh, that that's not a question in the same way it is for the other people. Not as much, but I just still think that the idea of White Walkers was something Ned Stark thought about or thought it was a real thing. No, I think they, but I, I think they're more, I mean, look, they already, I don't think they're going to stop believing him because he makes a decision they don't like. You know what I mean? Like, they, they've already bought into the White Walker thing. They believe him. That's not a, that's not, that's not an argument anymore. Um, the decisions he makes based on that, they can quibble with. But I don't think they're going to be able to say, oh, well, you know, we believed in this White Walker thing. Um, it's like, no, they believe it, be- and it's true. Mm. Like, they, because they live in the North, and they know that it's not just stories. Right. Yeah, I suppose, um, I suppose, uh, I, I just, I, I understand his predicament is all I'm saying. I guess we'll, um, I, I, I suspect what they're... He's in a tough, I mean, yeah, he's in a tough spot, no doubt. He is, but I also suspect what we're going to see is, unless he's really turned off by, which will be, by the way, it's going to be really funny if John's like, what you did was terrible and I can't support you, um, based on the end of this episode, Compared to Jamie sticking by Cersei, um, that would be really funny. Hmm. I think what is more likely, what they seem to be doing, at least for now, is building a very clear relationship thing. I mean, the last episode was pretty clear that they're trying to build some sort of romance between Jon and Daenerys. And this episode, you know, he like grabs her arm gently and shows her the cave paintings and they're alone. And clearly she's super into it. And so he's super into it, whatever. But there's no time for that. But, you know, clearly it's going on. Uh, and I think they're going to build into that. And they're going to keep doing this, you know, like, do this with me so that we can do whatever. And uh, so we can stop the White Walkers. And she'll be like, no, you have to bend the knee. But even that relation, that that conversation has taken a small, you know, jump. Um, and I think it's going to keep shifting until they come to some sort of compromise or, you know, have sex or whatever. Um that seems to be the direction they're going with this particular, uh, this particular plotline. Um, now, whether or not that's the end game for the show, I don't know. I did think that when she was saying, you know, f- you know, their queen or whatever, I thought she was going to propose marriage or something. But then she was just like, "No, you have to, you have to uh, be part of my queen, you know, part of my uh, kingdom or whatever." Um, yeah, well, who knows? I'm I'm not in the business of, of trying to determine how relationships on Game of Thrones work. It's actually been the least one of the least interesting parts of Game of Thrones, I would say, um, because so many of the relationships are so dysfunctional. It's like, what are we rooting for? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so right after their little uh, trip through the caves, um, they come back out and they find out that um, about what happened last episode that we had all seen. Um, by the way, I thought I thought it was really strange um, before they went into the cave when Missandei made that joke about 
she she made like a sex joke, or or Daenerys made a sex joke or something about Grey Worm, um, when like there's a very real possibility he could be dead. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was very blasé. After I know as an audience, we as the audience, we know what happened, um, but it was a weird way to talk about it, like somebody who's off to war. I, I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was a very strange conversation, uh, especially since they later get yeah. the information that in fact it went terribly and he may in fact die. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that that whole conversation is we can maybe chalk up to the fact that uh, there are not women in the writers' room on Game of Thrones. Well, yeah, that too. Um, so maybe this is how David Benioff and DB Weiss think women talk to each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that that's that, that's all I can assume because it would know, explain a lot about the show in general. Yeah. I would say it it really would. Yeah, because this was that was a very strange scene. The whole thing was bizarre. Um, yeah, very odd. Um, but then uh, Daenerys uh, and John come out of the cave and they find out about what happened, and then she has to consult her little crew of advisors on what to do. Um, and she first challenges Tyrion that, in fact, uh, with the accusation that he doesn't support her and that he's not willing to actually fight the Lannisters, um, which I think is an unfair accusation. But I do, we do see later that he does have some mixed feelings about, you know, what you know what it means for Daenerys to win versus what it's going to mean for his you know brother who he still has affection for even if he doesn't particularly care about Cersei. Yeah, I mean we see that at the end of the episode, yeah. um, and that's a even I mean that's a theme in this episode in more than one place when we there's the conversation with Dick on Tarly that we'll get to later. Yeah, we'll get to Dick on later. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's it's. Not an entirely unfair accusation. I think in the in the moment, it's clearly just because she's you know mm. kind of heated over this uh, loss th- yeah. that Tyrion's plans have completely failed, and that she is now weaker because of them when she could have just attacked King's Landing with her full strength. Um, but yeah, it's she turns to John for counsel, which I think is interesting. She does. Again, I think it's all just part of this romance building, especially since she ignores him entirely. Um, well, no, I mean, she, he says not to attack King's Landing and she doesn't. She doesn't, she doesn't, but her, that's wasn't necessarily what she was suggesting, right? She's just saying in general, like, I should take my dragon and go, you know, burn some people, which she does. Um, well, but she's, she burns the different, she burns soldiers is the difference. She doesn't burn towns. Um, and that's what John is. That's what John was saying. He's saying, look, if you go and melt a bunch of innocent people, then you're just another you know, uh, tyrant, and you're no different than anyone else who's ruled uh, the Seven Kingdoms. Um, so she goes to the battlefield, and she burns a lot of people, but she burns people who are soldiers who are fighting against her. So in terms of like the uh, the rules of war, she's she's within them. I suppose. I think the um, well, I think the indication at the end is that it was still fairly. It's difficult, you know, if you consider dragons to be like nukes or whatever, you know, it's still, yeah, sure, you could drop them on a military base, but, you know, it's a horrible thing to do in the context of war. I mean, it's horrible to kill people in general, but it's particularly, like, terrifying to see what happens when they, when they, dragon actually uses full power on people, on humans. Um, So, yes, I mean, we'll see how John reacts next episode. Uh, But... 
Yeah. Um, I suppose we can... Oh, the other thing, too, is Daenerys... So I, I was a bit irritated in this scene because she's like, nobody's giving me advice. Nobody's saying, you know, or the advice is all bad or whatever. But I'm like, Daenerys, don't you have any ideas, personal ideas, aside from, like, kill all of them? She doesn't seem to be putting forward any strategies herself. Um, or proposing well, that's not counterfeit. that's not the leader's job to put to what? come up with their own ideas. They have, they have people for that. Exclusively, though, John has had well, to do I, both. John is I think John is the exception on this show, and maybe I guess Cersei too. Now that she's the actual yeah, like, Cersei queen. does it. Helena did it. Um, Pretty much everyone does it except for Daenerys. Is like everyone else has to tell me what the strategy is. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, you should defer to experts um, in in this regard, but you know. You, might throw some ideas out there, even if it's stupid. Just I don't know. But then she does seem to take her own idea at the end and 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 attack and try and get some of this either you know whatever screw up the the Lannisters' plan. So I guess there's that. Um, so before we uh, we want to quickly mention uh, I want to quickly get into Brienne and Arya. Um, but before we do that, um, John and Daenerys. Uh, so there's some. Um, there's been some discussions about uh, these characters and what they might mean uh, in terms of prophecies and whatever in the show. So very briefly, uh, there's a suspicion that either John or Daenerys are the Azor Ahai, the um, Lord of Light, sort of, what is this, like the Messiah character? Yeah, basically. Right? Um, and so that could be a uh, that could be true of either of those characters. Uh, one really cool theory that I'll link out in the the, the post on the, on the site um, is that so apparently in the um, books, part of the prophecy for the Azor High is that now it would be kind of weird for them to do this on the show since they haven't talked about this prophecy at all, but that. Um, Oh, I want to make sure I get this right. So let me just let me just pull it up. Um, but basically, that's what's happened on the show so far. Sort of fits the prophecy for um, Daenerys. So in the books, the legend states that Azor Ahai was working to forge a hero's sword. On the first attempt, he tried to temper the steel in water, but it shattered. On the second attempt, um, he tried to temper the steel by thrusting the sword into the heart of a lion, but it too shattered. And then on the third and final uh, third and final attempt. He thrust the sword into his wife's heart and became successful in in his in creating his sword, Lightbringer. So Lightbringer is this like flaming sword that the Azor Ahai has. So the idea is that because um, Daenerys first tried uh, the naval attack or naval sort of approach, and Yara was killed at sea, that that's the war. Oh, sorry, that's the water sort of metaphor there. Um, that the second attempt was to kill or attack the Lannisters, and then that didn't really work, um, or that they were sort of outmaneuvered. So that's the second one, and so the third one is uh, plunging a, the sword into the heart of the wife. So what that means is um, not really clear yet, but that could be sort of fulfilling this prophecy. So that was kind of an, a cool... Whether or not they're actually doing this in the show, it's not clear, but that was the first two major battles of this... this um, uh, this season, and so they could be doing that sort of thing, and so that leads us to a question that we got from, I believe, Olivia, was it Olivia, um, which was, uh, 
do are they trying to uh, are the uh, showrunners trying to turn Daenerys into Nissa Nissa, who was the wife of Azor Ahai, who is sacrificed to create Lightbringer, which is a flaming sword, as I said. So um, whether or not any of this comes together in some sort of coherent um, uh, sort of like this is, comes to fruition on the show, well, it's not really clear. Um, and they haven't mentioned Lightbringer or any of these uh, prophecies before, so it's probably yeah they have no they have well, they've they've mentioned Lightbringer a bunch they actually. mentioned Lightbringer. Oh yeah, because that was the whole thing with Stannis's sword. Um, how it was, you know, he he has the yeah. The, it, back when Missandei was with Stannis, they brought up all this. Melisandre. God damn it! <laughs> I keep doing that. Again, I, I'm gonna say it again. They should not be allowed to have characters with such similar names. I was thinking. They I was just thinking banned. earlier when you were talking. I was like, Tyrells, um, Tyrells Martells. That always. It irritated me. Tywin yep. Tyrion, and there was another one that it was that we were talking about earlier. It's just like there's way too many similar sounding characters on this show. Um, but Melisandre and Missandei, I never confuse. It's just you. <laughs> All right. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah, but <laughs> we got Melisandre and Stannis. They've definitely brought up at least Lightbringer before. Interesting. I, um, I guess I just didn't remember. Uh, but I mean, it has been so long and that's, that's part of, I guess that's my response to this theory is like, they haven't fully brought up all of it. They haven't fully, they, they haven't, they haven't done the parts that they have explained, haven't been explained for a very long time. Um, but on the other hand, I think that I, I could very easily see a situation in the final season where John uh, has to kill Daenerys for because she goes Targaryen crazy or whatever, um, and he pulls out the sword and it's a flaming sword and now he can fight with a flaming sword against the White Walkers. Yeah, no, that that is a thing that is very likely to happen. And not I think. only that, it'll be after they have had some sort of you know romantic entanglement oh, yeah. as well. So it'll be super sad and whatever. And um, yeah, and and contrary to my theory that the show is about the ascendancy of female. Uh, rulers and democracy. Um, it'll actually be about women sacrificing themselves for men, which well, it's not about democracy yet at all because <laughs> um, no one's voted on any of these people. Um, no one's um, voted, but, but they did make this whole. They had this whole conversation with Davos and Missandei, uh, Missandei, um about choosing kings um, or queens, and for both Daenerys and Jon, that's what happened. Yeah. I saw someone say that that was a cool scene because it's cool to have one of one of the two black characters on the show talk about how how great it is to serve yeah. uh, a white character. Um, <laughs> oh <my laughs> watch out for HBO's Confederate oh coming God. soon. Um, but yeah, from it's, the very same showrunners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah. The, as far as prophecy goes, this show is definitely like it's weirdly set stuff up uh, without kind of fully explaining what the prophecies are and what it's setting up. So in the comments of the last episode, people were talking about uh, the Valon Carr and who it would be if it would be Jamie or Tyrion. And I imagine that you maybe read that and didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Um, <laughs> I, 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 but yeah, it's, part, I, I it's part of the prophecy that Cersei flashes back to in the beginning of season five or six. I think yeah, I remember five. that, that weird cold open where they do... Yeah, yeah, it's... 
they don't they didn't show the whole prophecy for some reason um and i don't know if they will but that's part that's part of it but it's strange because they seem to be setting up the conclusion of that prophecy without ever having said the whole thing <laughs> so i don't know if they're going to do another flashback where we see the rest of it or something i don't know but it will we'll see also why why um, do th- now that scene seems even weirder in retrospect just so they could say that her kids were going to die why 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 bring prophecies into the show randomly in one one season where it doesn't seem to fit anything else? Like, they've never done it before. They've never done flashbacks. Well, I mean, yeah, well, in that case, the reason for the prophecy in the books is that it's to... I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's to explain her behavior, basically. Everything she does is because she's been told that her children are going to be killed. Okay. Um, but also, it's supposed to explain her hatred of Tyrion because Valonqar means uh, little brother. And the second part of the prophecy was uh, the Valonqar will, uh, you know, wrap his hands around your throat or something mm. once all your children have been dead. Um, and, yeah, they cut that for some reason. But the whole thing is, like, that's why she hates Tyrion, is because she thinks that uh, he's trying to kill Do her. Do they say hands that's why, she, hands that's why she thinks he's been trying to kill her the whole time, is because of this prophecy. Um, because if, they, if, they so we'll, if they say hands, then we know it's Tyrion. Well, I mean, we'll we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the theory goes that like the twist is, oh, it's actually Jamie who will do it, even though they're twins. Because I don't I don't know if they've ever established who is a minute older or whatever. But that's where that would come from. Um, I don't know if that's ever, I don't know if that's going to be part of the show because they would have they would have established it by this point. I would think it would be weird to go back to that flashback now. See, several seasons later. I think they'll do it, but maybe not actually do the flashback. And it's the same with this other thing where. This mill may be for people who have read the books, so that they're doing this sort of extra layer, but they don't want to get into this prophecy stuff and confuse viewers. So I mean, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, I mean, prophecies are bad writing yeah. in general, so I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to get into it. And I mean, the prophecies here are used as well as they can be because, you know, the best way to use a prophecy is to fulfill it ironically. Um and or to have it be self-fulfilling. Right. So, you know, it, again, not not great writing, but it's in a fantasy setting, you're going to have some prophecies. But if you and let it, the you prophecies know. just be in the heads of the people who've read the books and then in the show it just seems like plot, then both parties can be satisfied in different ways without ever making it explicit. Um, yeah, I so guess that so. may be what they're doing. I don't know. Um, so, and also, by the way, Davos makes the uh, less fewer grammar joke again yeah oh that was that was that was sweet yeah that was one of those things i was talking about in the beginning of just little callbacks when Arya's fighting brienne she says who taught you and she goes no one mm-hmm. um and there's a there's a couple more um but yeah there was just a lot of these nice little like oh yeah this uh i remember that from watching the show <laughs> right yeah no exactly and also we had always wanted to see Arya and brienne together because it seemed like they would be good for personalities that would fit you know um well together uh, did did you like this? Uh, what did you think of this this little fight between Brienne and Arya? It was cool. I liked how frustrated Brienne got from not being able to hit her at all. Yeah. And then how as soon as the fight was over, like that immediately, Gwendolyn Christie is such a great actress. All of that tension just immediately dissipated yeah. because she was just like, oh wow, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I liked I liked the the I liked the choreography of this fight. I really like that scene where they both have where she, you know they had she has. They have their knife, or Arya has her knife out to Brienne's throat, and 
Um, I think vice versa. I think Brienne has her sword out. Anyway, I have a screenshot of it. It's in the um, it'll be in the gallery. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, that's a that's a really good shot. And um, I the one thing I did think that was a little odd is that the way she, Arya fights is like she fights like Serio, not like the the many the whatever the faceless men. To to me anyway. So what I remember from the faceless men, nobody fought like that. Well, there wasn't a lot of fighting in the faceless. No, but there was whole were... scenes where she was like training and dueling or whatever. She's using a staff and all those. But it doesn't look like that. And then she just fights like Serio. So I'm just kind of like, why didn't we just combine the faceless men and Serio into one person and call it Serio? <laughs> I just thought it was a bit bizarre um, in this fight. I thought it looked cool. It was very good. It was all fine. But again, much like the stealth and stuff that we've seen her do in in other episodes um we uh this season it makes me wonder even more what the hell they were doing with the faceless men in the previous seasons because i still don't understand that at all especially since the whole thing oh you have to reject your house you have to reject all your other stuff and then uh you know your identity and then like all of the show is about her reclaiming her identity which she never really lost because she never really gave it up. It's just, I mean, it, w- it took too long, but it was just so she could learn to take faces and assassinate people. That's it. Yeah, I guess. But it's just like, there's so many other ways to show that. They did it in the weirdest way possible. And not weird and, like, cool, mysterious. Weird and, like, why are we seeing this and not, you know, or why are we seeing the same scene 15,000 different times that's not actually showing the things that she's learning how to do, like, fight and be... You know, she can, like, dodge people now and all that stuff. That's all very cool. But, um, you know, it would have been cool if, like, we saw her do that in the training montages with the faceless men. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, I really like this I, I like this, uh, this encounter. I thought it was a little weird that Littlefinger seemed to be enjoying watching Arya. Like, he should be terrified because Arya doesn't like him, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, he just he's not a good actor. Everything. He's not a good actor. I think he's terrible. Um, Thank you. Okay, a lot of people really like Aiden Gillen. I really don't think he's good. He's. I mean, maybe he's good in other stuff no, um, I saw him that I guard. haven't he seen. Was, he wasn't very good. He, the Guard is a great movie. But he's... Sorry, no, Cal, Calvary. He's in Calvary. Uh, Calvary's a great movie, and The Guard is also a great movie. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not very good in it. <laughs> he's really terrible as Littlefinger. Um... Really, really bad. To be fair, he's not really given much to do now. He just sort of smirks at things now, so I, I don't really know. But he's just like how, the whole point of the character is that he's he's the most uh, he he convinces people to like him. He he's he you know, he endears people to him. So why did why is he giving like the slimiest, most repulsive performance? How like every time I see him, I'm like, how does anyone like him? How does he get anyone to to ally with him? He's awful. He's so clearly awful. The way that uh, the way that they're handling the character is a bit odd. I agree. Um, it's not it's not exactly the way I would have done it. But um, I also again don't think they have much to do for him because it's not clear what he's trying to do. The one thing he's done in the past few episodes is the dagger and a few conversations, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. So yeah, I think they're probably going to kill him pretty soon. Like we've been talking about how they're trying to kind of consolidate characters and get rid of like the useless ones. Um, yeah, like it is pretty. Like you said, it's pretty clear that like he doesn't have a lot to do right now except fail to uh, uh, get the Stark children on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think Littlefinger is long for this world. He just doesn't seem to have much of a purpose in the story anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is strange that they're dedicating so much time to him this season. 
doing really not much of anything if if I'm right and that's where it's going, which I think it, I mean I don't I don't I'd be surprised if most of these characters made it out of the series alive. Um I don't think many of them are going to be left by the time this is all said and mm-hmm. done. Um, but I think Littlefinger, uh, sooner rather than later, is going to be on his way out. I think that that's not an unreasonable guess. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me, because they just don't seem to be able to come up with anything for him to do. But he's been such a central character in so many plot lines, I feel like they're going to need to really do a big exit for him, so I don't know. That'll probably yeah. get dragged out. Um, right before we go to the conclusion, we didn't mention it last episode, but they did find Theon floating in the ocean, and uh, or some, some Greyjoy boat found him floating in the ocean. Um, and so he's still alive, and he shows up back at Dragonstone and says, we need to go save my sister, uh, which is a weird thing for him to decide to do suddenly. Um, I would have figured he would have tried to defect, or I don't know. Um, but you, I do kind of like this, what they've set up, because the captain thinks he's a waste of space as soon as they pull him out of the ocean um, and makes it very clear, last episode. And then this episode, Theon is somehow taken charge, but the captain clearly is like, you're an ass. <laughs> um, I know what really happened there, but Theon's like, "Oh, we were, uh, you did, you, uh, we got to go save her," uh, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I, I also liked his little reunion with John, where he's like, "You know, I have every reason to, to basically kill you, uh, but unfortunately, uh, you saved my sister, so that's the only reason you're still here." Yeah, um, it's been so long since Theon did all the bad stuff. Um, that for a moment, for like a split second, and that was it. For a split second, when John like grabs him, I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, no, no, I was too. Oh, I had right, he I like. Right, right, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, Theon has been a different character for so long that it's weird to call back to this. I mean, obviously, this is what John would do. It's not, you know, it makes sense for the characters, but from a storytelling perspective, it's strange to call back to uh, this stuff that Theon did ages ago. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and also, yeah, and just his whole reek phase, basically. Which is still sort of a thing, but subsiding. Um, he can at least front now. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, we, uh, you know, he's lying, which he doesn't usually do. Um, well, he hasn't done for many seasons. And anyway, he used to do that all the time, but now he's sort of slipping back into his old character, who was kind of a douche. But anyway, so... Um, as we move forward into the finale, um, uh, there's some, again, there's this Western sort of aesthetic, and, um, also I thought it was funny when, uh, uh, Tarly, the Tarly dude, and, uh, uh, Jamie keep butting heads over discipline and how they're going to run things. And uh, Jamie seems like flabbergasted that this is going on. I'm like, you hired the biggest ass in all of, um, you know, your remaining allies to be the general in your army. I don't know what you expected. You literally baited him with he, yeah. like xenophobia, and then he's like, well, you know, <laughs> like what well, anyway. I don't think he's. I didn't get the sense that he's flabbergasted, but he definitely seems like, you know frustrated that he has to deal with this guy oh, like yeah. all right may- hey maybe don't like uh f- keep flogging people maybe that's why you're going so slowly there's a bright yeah. idea <laughs> um he- yeah he definitely seems like oh i can't believe i have to deal with this piece of shit but i again again it's like like we've been talking about we still don't know really the why for jamie right now it's like i have to do this because love uh 
Because because <laughs> love is the only thing that seems to be. Because I love my sister. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna lead you to great places by the end of this episode. Seriously, yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, we get this good scene with um Dickon though, which first of all, um, another joke, <laughs> same joke again. Which and I I do like the timing, like because no one has no one has openly laughed at that yet in the show. So of course it's Bron that of does, course. but the timing of it, the comedic timing is really good because there's no hesitation. As soon as he hears it, he just immediately bursts into yeah. laughter. <laughs> um, so it's, but it, it is a good scene when he, he kind of has to like, when he's approached by Jamie and Bron, he's like putting up a front. He's kind of like pretending like, oh yeah, it was a, a glorious battle, and Jamie has to be like, all right, look, you know, we. You can be honest with me, it's okay. And again, we get that, like we talked about earlier, this theme of, like, how arbitrary it is that people, in in war, that people are pitted against each other. And um, I don't know if you've played the video game Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Um, but this is the main theme of that game, is that it takes place in the Cold War, and the whole point is, like, you're fighting these people who, you know, last year were your allies. Right. And... It's not because of anything you did on an individual level to these people. You're just told, you're each told that the other is your enemy, and now you have to treat each other like enemies. And, um, you know, the whole thing that the main the main antagonist of that game, the boss, Snake's mentor, her whole thing is like, you know, why? why? That, that doesn't make any sense. Um, we sh- the, the concept of borders uh, and nations doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's it's one of my favorite games, but it's this, it's a, this, it's a similar thing here where Dickon is talking about how like look, there these people who we massacred, um, like I knew them and I went hunting with them and they were my friends and now they're not because of forces that are entirely out of my control, right. and like I mean I think that's an interesting theme in general and it's cool to have it uh, explored here. Yeah, no, and it's it's something they don't do so much on this show, but yeah, they sh- you know. There's not that many houses. They all know each other, and they all have you know some level of interaction with each other. Especially if they grew up together or they're allies at some point. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. Um, it's a it's a good scene, um, and it does put everything into a little bit of perspective before everything goes down. And it's something that's immediately called on, I guess, in the next you know throughout the battle as as there's this conflict, um, uh, and and you know you see Tyrion watching it all from from afar as its brother's army is completely decimated. Um, yeah, I would say that that's, uh, that about sums up the, the prelude to this. Um, we, yeah, the battle, right. I guess. <laughs> by the, by yeah, the way, bef- before we do the it, battle, do you know the director of this episode was the, uh, the director from Always Sunny, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? He's done, like, what? most of the episodes what? from that. Yeah, Matt Shackman, really? yeah. That's interesting, yeah, huh? Out of nowhere. I mean, I mean that's yeah, kind of a weird pick for an, especially for an episode like this. But he does a good job. I think it's a really good battle. Yeah, I think so too. And he, I think he does both this episode and maybe next episode too. He got two episodes. Yeah, they do them in pairs. Yeah. Haven't. Um. So this battle, I do want to point out. I just learned this. This set an industry record for the most stuntmen set on fire. No kidding. <laughs> with well, there you with seventy three. Uh, in addition to the most in a single shot, which was 20. Um, huh. <laughs> yeah, so, 
I mean, and yeah, it's there. There's a lot of fire. I mean, it's uh, this is. When is the last time on this show when we had a great like, dragon attack? Um, I don't really remember. Last I have never season. seen a. Sh- okay, so I want to just. Well, yeah, I'll get into that. It's like I just want to point out just in defense of Matt Shackman, who did direct this, um, who did a great job, again. Um, and I'm, I'm a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as well, personally. Um, but uh, he's also directed uh, Fargo and plenty of other shows. He's he's not just... Um, he didn't just do It's Always Sunny. He didn't just do uh, one of the most well-known and long-running comedy shows of all time. He also <laughs> has directed a bunch <laughs> of other shows. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, like the, you know, One Tree Hill and that kind of stuff, but also, um, uh, uh, The Good Wife and, um, Fargo and, and some others and Psych, um, and Mad Men, a little bit of Mad Men. So, um, and House, yeah, look at that. Um, so he's, he's got a lot of uh, varied experience and he, I thought he did a fantastic job, but I also, again, very to this point where they just have random scenes with, um, CGI dragons, uh, which they don't need to in previous episodes. I think we're also, again, seeing that reaffirmed here where the CGI is demonstrably better, I think, than it's ever been. It's Oh, it's excellent. This is, I, I would call it excellent, probably for the first time on this show. Usually you kind of have to qualify it with like, oh yeah, it's for a TV show, it's it's really good. Um, well, it depends. Like, I would say at the end of season one, when they first have the dragons, I was like, oh my God, that looks, it looked amazing. It was really good because that was the only shot they had to do with them. Um, but then as they had to do more and more of them, it was like, oh, geez, this is, and it's not, it wasn't there, again, this is not the fault of the artist, it's literally just, I understand this budget and all the rest of it, but because they're able to cut so much else from the show, I think that they could just pour everything into these battles, into these, these moments, and it was great, and as I complained about in season two, where, like, the fire between the CGI fire and the real life fire didn't look real, they completely nailed that transition here, I just thought it was really just incredibly well done. It felt like a movie. Yeah, it's it's a really good a really good scene. I love the build up and it's such it's kind of an easy way to induce tension, but I think they play it really well when the uh you hear the Dothraki screamers. Oh yeah. Uh the the pounding of the hooves um and then you cut to like the Lannister soldiers and they look terrified oh, yes. at what's coming for them and they come over. Yeah, and it's um the whole scene is summed up in this one line. Someone's one of the Dothraki, I guess, generals or something. He he turns to Tyrion and he goes, "Your people can't fight." Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it kind of it reminded me of um. There's a scene in the movie War Horse where the British uh, soldiers who are still fighting on like horseback with like um sabers, they uh charge into battle with the Germans who are like who are fighting with machine guns. And the whole point is like the this, the British army is stuck in the past right. and they're being decimated because they haven't made this leap forward technologically. And this is kind of the reverse of that, um, where the um, the Dothraki are not by any means more technologically advanced than the Lannisters, but they are so in just in terms of sheer like combat prowess, they are so far beyond uh, because they're you know they they're all raised to be warriors, right? Um, you know from birth. Whereas the Lannister soldiers, like we in the first episode of the season, we met some. They're just like some guys basically who are become soldiers because they kind of, they have to, um, because you know for money to support their families or whatever. Um, they are obviously trained to fight, but like not in the same sense that the, that the Dothraki are. Right, right, right. So it's it's like a bloodbath. We've also been led to believe throughout the series, like a running theme, weirdly, uh, this is a theme I can point to in the show, 
I can't point to money, but this is one for sure, um, which is that faster and more and nimbler wins. And so, you know, that's why Braun beats that that um, knight in the battle of the, the, the whatever the moon door. Um, that's why the Dothraki often win. That's why there's like this this recurring theme of these of these this this motif and probably Arya um, and Brienne that contrast as well is is not um, uh, is probably a, like an iteration on that. And so that's and that's exactly what we see here. It's not that they have better armor. It's that there's just there's a lot of them. There's more of them, and they're just really fast and and just in a completely different um, different. Uh, armor and combat style where they're unencumbered by armor so they're able to move much faster and they just seem to you know run run train on all these uh all these uh lannisters so yeah um yeah and just when you think <laughs> it can't get any worse the dragon shows oh up. yeah that was awesome um, that was really really cool. and just yeah it just immolates them um there's the there's a they they pass over it so quickly but there's an amazing shot where jamie looks over and sees like the ashes of these soldiers um, who were alive a second ago oh, yeah. just like blow away in the wind. Um, I wish they had, they had spent more time on it because it happens so quickly. But it's an it's it's such a great shot of just uh, the ashes in the shape of a person just scattering. Um, but yeah, like I mean, like we said, the dragon looks great. It's uh, it's a cool scene. I think I wish we had more opportunities for the dragons to do cool things and not just like kind of fly around. I think that and be I think there. this is some people. Somebody said this. I think this is um, uh, you know, this really is the realization of what the show was, you know, the promise of the show that we've been waiting yeah. for for so long. And and I didn't I didn't think they'd be able to deliver on it because I wasn't you know really sure that it would be convincing when they actually did it based on what we had seen. But I think that the finale is going to be absolutely incredible. At least in terms yeah. of CGI, what actually happens in the finale? If it's going to piss everyone off, I don't know, but that's a separate question. I think the CGI will be amazing. And by the way, I do want to take issue. You said you didn't think the CGI was that good in the past. Um, there have been amazing episodes with, with you know some episodes really good CGI. And I think it's gotten better over the seasons as I've gotten more you know money. Obviously, um, there's that great scene where the I think it's the three eyed Raven like turns into like little bits of fabric. Yeah. Or... Oh no, I, I was thinking about that just. Um... Just earlier, while we were while we were talking about Bran, no, yeah, that was a. I think we talked about it. That was a really good. Uh, that was a really good effect. Absolutely, and then and then I think that Hardhome had some incredible effects with the ice and. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I was exaggerating it <laughs> a bit, but. It, I'm just saying. I mean, we, it, it we just have really... seen some some really good moments, and I think that if they can condense and sort of focus their resources on on those scenes, I think we're going to get some really incredible stuff as we move into the really really big major you know, final battles. Uh, yeah. Um, so we, I, I didn't realize that, um, I, I didn't expect that the, uh, the big, uh, arrow thing. Of course it was, yeah. Which, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that it would already be there, but yeah, I guess it makes sense that, that, uh, they would take one along just in case. Well, that's just it. What's um, so weird is that they're like, I was thinking about this. I was like, of course they have it with them because they want to make sure they're protected. But like, it's sort of a half-assed measure where like, they didn't have a plan for it to be ready. They didn't. You know, when they were at their most vulnerable, they didn't like take it out just in case. They <laughs> they just kept it in this, you know, caravan. It's like, okay, but you know, Jamie just said that they're incredibly vulnerable right now, and sure hope nobody attacks right now. And you didn't think maybe we should take it out just in case, you know, someone flies in on a dragon. Just in case, we don't know, we don't know, but we should probably because we don't know. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it was kind of like a half-assed, like, well, we'll keep it with us to make us feel better. Well, that's it. Um, well, I guess if they were if they were carrying it out on the open and you're Daenerys and you see that thing, that's going to be your first target, right? So it makes sense I, in that sense to keep yeah, it. Yeah, I guess it didn't. Seem, well, yeah, okay, maybe it was because it was it was covert, but whatever. Uh, but they would have to know that that was what, I mean, they, nobody knows what that, that weapon is or what it's for, what the, you know, that it was going to have any effect on the dragon. It turns out it did. Not a significant enough effect, but an effect. Hmm. Um, but this whole scene with, uh, with Bronn, I thought was so weird. I don't know. Did you watch, did you watch all three of the Hobbit movies? Yeah. Um, do you know what scene I'm talking about then from uh, the beginning of the third movie? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I know. What you, it was yeah. totally like that scene where they're fighting smog and <laughs> I, black. I thought arrows. of that too. Yes. Um, it doesn't help that these two actors look kind of similar. <laughs> and I was like, this is the same scene, except I like this more because the Hobbit movies weren't very good, and um, <laughs> that's a completely just separate note. But I, I actually I thought this scene was really really engaging and, and quite different. Um, I did like that scene in that actually that intro to the this third Hobbit movie is pretty decent um i just thought that this was cooler more exciting um so uh but anyway it was it was uh it was definitely engaging and and does pose an interesting it was cool to see we we learned a lot that with by showing they showed us a lot about dragons they're immune to arrows they don't have to worry about any of that but they are not immune to like these giant crossbow bolt things so now we've learned something a little bit about the biology of of dragons that they do have some they have hard skin, but not impenetrable skin. Right. Um, by the way, that's something that that um, is it. Kyburn does not address at all. He shoots an arrow through a skull, but the whole point yeah, is like, I, is the skin impenetrable? Because that's the part that matters. Yeah, I, I don't remember if we talked about that, but I I remember thinking the same thing. It's like, yeah, okay, great, you broke the skull, but like, the dragon is not just a skeleton. Right. Exactly. <laughs> He's got a whole covered layer. Which is the whole thing with smog, smog and and again, I know it's a completely different, different biology, different dragons, because this is a different different universe, different fantasy story. But smog's whole thing is that his skin is like diamond hard, not his bones. <laughs> um. <laughs> That, that's why he needs like they need they go for the 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 hole in his or the the, the wound he has in his skin, uh, not not in his yeah, skeleton anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, and um, by the way, I'm very excited to see now that we've seen this very you know heated battle uh, to compare that with to see that clash with the kind of battle we saw at Hardhome, you know, to really see this ice and fire, you know, motif going on. I think that's going to be really cool to see. Um, in you know, as we move into the finale type uh, episodes uh, this season, next season, um, I, it's going to be a very cool combo of effects with the fire and and, and the ice, and just the, yeah. the, the flame effect, and also like the shattering ice and all the rest of it that we see what happens when when you use dragon glass on White Walkers. So I'm excited for that for sure. Um. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's about well, it. We get I this. I mean, there's this big. We finale. get this moment where um, where uh, Daenerys is trying to get the bolt out yep, of yep. Uh, Drogon's. Oh uh, yeah, we should definitely talk about Tyrion and yeah. whatever whatever part of Drogon that is. And Jaime uh, sees this and like charges at her for some stupid um, reason. Not a not a great plan. And even and Tyrion watching this on the ridge is like, "Don't do this, you fucking yeah. idiot." Um. And it's, it's sad, much you know, it's a sad... Uh, yeah. It's really sad, because there's nothing he can do. He's basically watching what looks like Jamie's death. 
yeah um from afar which is really sad um which and again this is another great example like in an earlier season i feel like jamie would have died here yeah maybe um, yeah and not gotten saved at the because yeah because people didn't used to get saved at the last second on this show yeah, not really <laughs> they used to just die um so it is a little odd but i mean you know I, again i'm glad to keep braun and jamie around because i like those characters um Although he's, you know, they're singing to the bottom of this uh, river or whatever in all this armor. So it would be kind of funny if he just drowned at the beginning of the yeah, next episode. Yeah, I'd be episode. like, why do they even... Well, there's two things. Um, first of all, yeah, so I like that Jamie doesn't really get that it's a dragon and you can't, you don't just charge it with its... I don't know what he thought was going to happen there. Um, Daenerys seems completely unconcerned. Uh, <laughs> um, but also, I, you know, they also... I, I looked at... I was reading some interviews with the director. Um because they were saying, you know, what's going on at the end of this episode? What's the uh, what's the readout supposed to be from it? And um, and much to like, uh, you know, aligning with what I thought, it's quite it's meant to be ambiguous. So you don't know a if Jamie survives. I'm assuming he survives because why else would they bother with this scene? Um, but also, who saved him? Because the assumption is Braun, but it could also be Dickon, who he saved earlier in that battle, and that's also ambiguous too. All we see is somebody charging and and sort of saving him at the last second, but we don't know who it is. Um, so both will be, uh, I guess, I assume we'll find out next episode. Um, and then whether or not that other person will die or, or you know, uh, whatever it is. So, because the only person we saw at the end was Jamie uh, in the water. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll, we'll find out. Uh, who... Uh, well, who did the same? Yeah, next uh, next week's episode is called Eastwatch. Eastwatch, yep. And I believe, I, I think, yeah, I believe that is also Matt Shackman. So he'll be directing yep. another episode. Um, and Usually when we get just uh, episode titles that are just like a place, uh, it's because it's a big battle episode. Oh. Like with Blackwater and like with Hardhome. Um, although Dragonstone it wasn't a big battle episode at the beginning of the season. Oh, but, but this is maybe that's the exception. This is going to be like Hardhome. This is going to be like a... A White Walker-centric episode, then. I would imagine, yeah, because the whole thing... I mean, I I don't know if they've fully explained this in the show, but the whole point of Eastwatch is it's a castle on the wall, and it's uh, the castle that's on the easternmost edge of the wall, which means that the ocean is there, and since the wall doesn't go across the whole ocean, um, you can, like, sail around it right. if you want. Um, so I would imagine that... Uh, it's also what the since... Hound saw a vision of the White Walkers Yeah, exactly. Across, so so. Uh, the White Walkers... That would make sense, a place to kind of, instead of getting over the wall or just, like, tearing down the wall somehow, just to go around it seems like a a solid plan. Or or they'll get through the castle, but either way, yeah, I think it's going to end very badly and they will they will win. The White Walkers will win this, obviously, because it's not going to... Actually, the White Walkers were stopped and the, and the series ended. Um, <laughs> obviously, that's not going to happen. Is this the last episode? Well, that, that's not the last episode of this season. How many episodes are there for this season? No, there's seven episodes this seven. season. Seven, okay. So that's episode five. and then They're keeping the episode titles under wraps, by the way. Mm-hmm. They had kept that one, Eastwatch's title, under wraps until episode four had aired. And the last two are, are still a mystery, so... Oh, that's cool. Well, until it all gets leaked, I'm sure. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Um, okay, perfect. So Eastwatch and... Uh, Oh, there was something else about... Oh, yeah, so for people who have seen the next episode, um, like, reviewers and things, they say that these are definitely feel like a, like a one-part, two-part, like, it's a two-parter. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I imagine it'll pick up... Maybe we'll get, like, a follow-on from what Theon's doing to try and save Yara or whatever, so... 
Um, which, by the way, is going to be hilarious when Yara's like, uh, you, you're saving me now? Really? All right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, until next time, I guess. All right.